Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. It, it, really, uh, it really is a, an, an honor now. If, if you're not from Texas, if the draw throws you off a little bit, just give it a minute and, and it occurs to you what I said. Okay, but if you're from Texas, you're going to get this pretty quick. But anyway, you know, it's it sometimes uh, I can't avoid my West Texas. It comes out. So, uh, but we're going to go to the Word of God in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, let me let me just say uh, how how much it means uh, to to those who receive your generosity, who've been devastated by these fires. Um, when, when Pastor Jason talked about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, one of the things that Paul says there, he says, and, and out of your poverty, you gave to those who had need. And, and I don't know what your financial state is today, but, but you know, not, none of us in here are, are Bill Gates, right? And so all of us have a limited income. But when we look at, at someone who's been devastated, someone who's lost everything... And we say, you know what, I, I want to help there. God comes and gets involved in that. And I just, I pray that he takes every dollar you give and multiplies it a hundred times. And that it, 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 and not just the generosity, but the goodness of God uh, travels with those dollars. Uh, somebody said the other day that, that that fire was traveling 80 football fields a minute. You know, we're, we're used to tornadoes uh, where I'm from. And, and sometimes they're not that fast. I was stunned to find out how fast a, fa- a fire could move. And so, you know, it's no wonder people got out with just the clothes on their back and thank God that they got out. But, uh, but I pray that the grace of God goes with the money that you sow there and that, and that God even restores it to you a hundredfold as well. All right? Uh, you know, another thing that I want you to take note of is that you, you guys are constructing a stronghold of the presence of God yeah. in San Francisco. And it's no small thing to God. You know, um, there, there are easier places to plant a church. But, but, but God put San Francisco on the hearts of Jason and Jen. And, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal that they paid attention and they said yes. And uh, we're, just, we're just believing with you that God's going to reach a city here. Amen. And he's going to start right here at this middle school. So thank you for what you're doing. And uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, if, if you brought your Bibles, you can open those to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going we're gonna to travel around a little bit in the scriptures today. But uh, I wanted to read, Does, has anyone ever seen that little... Uh, poem called footprints in the sand you ever seen that i hate that it it may it's not a bad poem all right uh if you're not familiar with it it's about a guy who had a dream and there were two sets of footprints and then there were one and he said god why did you leave me to walk alone and god said well i carried you so that's kind of yeah yeah i know it's a little sappy and uh and and it was when i was a kid it was everywhere i just got tired of looking at it So I was thankful when a friend of mine wrote a follow-up to Footprints in the Sand. And this little little poem is called Butt Prints in the Sand. (laughs) 
And here's how this one goes. One night I had a wondrous dream. The Lord and me, the beach, so pristine. We walked and talked, it was all so keen. Yet one set of footprints there were seen. Then out of nowhere did prints appear. I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat. Their look, not anything close to those of me feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you all alone. I challenged you to walk by faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed and would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. I tried and tried to help you up. So there I dropped you on your butt. <laughs> In every life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and take a stand or end with butt prints in the sand. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, it, it really is true. Um, the, the deeply spiritual life is never attained accidentally. But, shall, but a shallow life is. And most people just take life as it comes. There's no... There's nothing on the inside that charts a course to be deeply spiritual. And so they, they wind up in, in, the, in the winter of their years frustrated and broken and disappointed at what they became. And it doesn't have to be that way. About, uh, about 10 years ago, there was a very large church in the upper Midwest and and. To the shock of, of everyone, one day they raised their hand collectively where every church in America could see them, and they said, we failed as a church. Now, it may surprise you to learn that they had been around for 35 years by that time. They had 20,000 people a weekend coming and an annual budget of $50 million, and they said, we failed now, that's pretty brassy, isn't it? To say, you know, the, the very thing that we were supposed to do, we failed at. And, and here's, here's what they said. The reason we failed is because we led a lot of people to Jesus, but we didn't make a lot of disciples. So many people see salvation as the end rather than the beginning. And it's a beginning and they failed. And so what they did was they hired a team of psychologists and they put together a survey called the Reveal Survey. And you can look this up if you want. Not now, but you can look this up if you want to. And, and what they did was they sent this survey out to as many churches as would take it. And they said, what we want to do is find out how every church is doing with discipleship. How are we doing? And in the survey, people were allowed to self-identify into one of four groups. And here were the four groups. And as I, as I read these, they're going to be on your screen, but I want you to think. To, now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I want everybody here today to say, I know what category I'm in. Okay? Here are the four categories. Exploring Christianity. Growing in Christ. Close to Christ. Are these up? Did you get my email? Okay. All right. All right. 
my, my fault, okay? So I'm going to go through these a little slower. Exploring Christianity, growing in Christ, close to Christ, or Christ-centered. Okay, those are the four categories. And there's a progression from I'm a tire kicker, I don't know about all this yet, to, to someone who says I'm, I'm Christ-centered. And here's what that means, is that if Jesus is your Lord, he is the filter through which every decision you make comes from. That's what it means to be Christ-centered. Now, it may be for you that you would say, you know, I feel like I'm close to Christ, but I don't know that I filter everything through him. And that's a, if that's where you are, it's just important to know where you are, okay? But exploring Christianity, growing in Christ, close to Christ, and Christ-centered. And inside of each of these descriptions, there's room for people to say, here's how I'm doing. I feel like I'm growing, but I'm just frustrated with some things. And they could sort of maneuver around inside of, of each one of those. But where most churches track attendance and money, this church had the integrity to say there are more important things than that. And so what they were trying to do was identify what are the markers of the deeply spiritual life. How can we, how can we serve people to grow spiritually, not just come to church on Sunday, right? So that's what, that's what they were, were really after. And, 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 and let me just say this. You know, for, for most people, the, the motivation to come to God is a fear of hell, at least where I'm from. And, and how many of you know that's a pretty good motivation, right? I mean, if you're convinced that hell is real, you don't want to go there. Am I right? Exactly. But can I just say that Jesus didn't die to keep you from going to hell? And, and it may surprise you to know that Jesus didn't die to get you to heaven. Jesus died to get you to God. Okay? We, we sang this song, your presence is my heaven. That's deeply biblical. And, and, and it's, a, it's, a whole, it's about a whole lot more than where do you go on Sunday morning? I mean, let, let's give each other a break here, okay? That's not what this is about, is Sunday morning attendance. It's about a whole lot more than that. And, and when we understand that, heaven becomes a result and not a goal. They, they did a survey among Christians years ago that said, if, if you, when you get to heaven, if Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to be there? And they went, yeah, I think so. I'm like, you missed the point. That completely misses the point. That's not why Jesus died. He died to get you to God, not to get you to church. And so I hope you know that if there's any part of your life that is frustrating for you, you have a source. You have a Lord. You have somebody who cares more about that than you do. And we don't have to circle and figure it out and punch around and make a strategy list. God's aware of all that. Sometimes people just refuse to grow. And they just say, you know what, where I am is enough for me. 
and, and hence the butt prints in the sand, you know? What's God to do with that? But the truth is, is that sometimes, sometimes we just get snagged. Sometimes we just, we get tripped up. We run into a million obstacles that don't make any sense. And we just wonder, God, where are you? And it was, it was to such a people that the prophet Hosea, he wrote these words. This is Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And, and here's what I want to key on. And break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Now, we have any farmers in here? Anybody a farmer in here? No farmers? Okay, we got one farmer here. Hallelujah. So, so this, is, this is farming language. You understand unplowed ground, fallow. If you're familiar with the King James, break up the fallow ground. All right? Some of you recognize that. When, when he was talking about it, he was talking to an agrarian culture, a bunch of farmers. And, and what God had told them was, he said, every seven years, I want you to let the land rest. And, and they didn't know then, but biologists tell us today that if you let land rest through, through six years of, of growing crops, all the minerals are depleted. But if you let that land rest for a year, that those minerals, they, self they reproduce naturally, and then you come back and sow again in that field, and your harvest is bigger and greener and more lush, okay? But what do you suppose the ground looked at after a year of nothing? Now, my grandfather was a cotton farmer. I have seen unplowed ground all my life. And what happens is, if you're not growing a crop there, what happens is, is that there's rain, and then it dries. And then there's snow, and then there's wind, and then there's rain, and then there's mud, and then it dries. And then there's wind. And what happens after a year of that is, is that there's this hard crust on top. And there's weeds everywhere. And if you scatter the best seed on the planet there, it just sits on top and dies. And so before you sow a seed, you've got to come in and you've got to just break it up because there's good stuff underneath. But the, but the seed has no way of getting to it. And here's what Hosea was saying. You know, sometimes our hearts get that way. Sometimes just through the living of life, disappointment, wind, headwind, resistance, Spiritual warfare. We have an enemy. Anybody know that? Yes. Just life and disappointment. Sometimes our hearts just go, you know what? I'm just going to harden up here because it hurts less. Yeah. And God says the problem with that is, is that the seed of the word can't get in there. And so he says we need to do some heart work here. We need to, we need to break up. The, the, the unplowed ground of our heart. And here, here's what that looks like. Releasing faith in the goodness of God. Releasing faith in the confidence that God sees me today. He knows what's going on. 
He knows what frustrates me, what disappoints me, what angers me, what brings me joy. He knows all that. And, and the breaking up the, the unplowed ground is, is making decisions in secret that reflect gratitude to God that he knows me and he loves me and he hadn't forgotten about me. And so we just open our heart to the Lord. And, and one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, said this one time. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. And we all do it, don't we? We all do it. So, so years ago, some of you remember uh, the name Martin Luther. Any, any uh, Catholics, former Catholics, current Catholics, anybody? In? Okay, so you may not like Martin Luther, okay? But, but it was 1517, uh, so just... 501 years ago. And Martin Luther was a theologian. He was a teacher, a professor, and, and a Catholic scholar and a, and a monk, a priest. And so, but he lived in the Catholic church long enough that he started seeing some problems with it. So, so there were some problems in the Catholic church. Here's one of the things that he had a problem with. The, the, the priests were selling indulgences. Anybody know what an indulgence is? Okay, an indulgence is when a person says, I want to commit this sin. How much will that cost me? And you could pay a priest and go commit your sin and it'd be okay. You understand how offensive that is, right? And so, there, but there were, there were so many things. And so finally, he just, he boiled them all down to 95 things. He wrote them all down. He went to the church house door and he tacked it on the door and he said, this is my problem with church. Well, um, that went over like a pole vaulting nun, as you might guess. And, and, and so they, they came to him. <laughs> Was that a bad analogy? <laughs> I, it, just, it just sticks, you know. It just didn't go over well. And so they came to him and they said, they said, if you don't recant what you, what you did, we're going to kick you out of it. We're going to excommunicate you. And everybody knew that means you can't go to heaven if you're not in the church. That's what they all believed in. Okay. And so, so he thought it over. And I, and I want you to hear his response. Here's what he said. Now they said, they said, recant your views or you're out of the church. And here's what he said. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, I cannot recant my views because my conscience is captive to the word of God. Now I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Because let me, let me tell you something. Your conscience is captive to something. Your conscience is captive to whatever it is that gives you confidence that you're right about something. Now, I want to challenge you just for a minute. 
Because if what your conscience is captive to is mass opinion, well, everybody believes that. Can I just push back on that? Because what if everybody's wrong? I'm not going to hold my conscience captive to public opinion. All right? I, I want my conscience captive to something a whole lot more stable than everybody believes that. That's not enough for me. I mean, I'm, I'm banking my life on this. All right? I'm not tinkering with the machinery here. This is, this is, this is everything to me. This is my life. And it matters, right? It's your life. And it matters. It, it matters what gives you confidence that you're right. It matters. Your conscience is bound by whatever gives you confidence that you're right. And so, so let, here's, here's what I want to say today. That we don't stand above the Scripture. To judge it. All right? We don't stand beside the scripture to argue with it. We stand beneath the scripture. And we believe the scripture has the right to tell me what's right and wrong. All right? And here's the reason why. Because this, this isn't a book by man. This is, a, this is God's word. It's God's word. And, and there, have been, there have been atheists set out to refute it who came to believe it. Now listen, I, don't, don't take my word for it. But I've studied the source material. And I believe this is God's word. I didn't take this from somebody else who said this is God's word. I was curious enough to say, I don't know if that's God's word or not. But I'm willing to do a little research of my own. And because I believe it's God's word, it has the right to tell me what's right and wrong. So I stand under, underneath the word of God. But what happens when, when we do that is, is that, is that the strength of God begins to be made evident in your life. And other people begin to say, man, what's up with you? Your, your life doesn't look like everybody else that I know. And it doesn't have really anything to do with us. It has to do with God. It has to do with how sturdy His Word is. And so, when, when you get attacked by the enemy, I, I'm going to show you this in Scripture. If you're at Genesis 2, we're going to start. But if, if the enemy... You, you are a cast-off to the enemy. You're not a cast-off to God. But when the enemy attacks you, what he's after is the Word of God in you. He's not really after you. He's after destroying what's precious to God. So, so this, is, this is Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going to begin reading in, in verse 15. We're going to read three verses, all right? So this is the creation account. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, 
You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So I want you to look over just across the page. Oops. Can you grab that for me? I don't, I don't need it. You can just hang on to it. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now let me ask you. Is that what God said? What did he say? You, you, look, you look back. Chapter 2, verse 16. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, you hear what the, what the enemy's doing? Chapter 3, verse 2. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Is it up here? There we go. So, so let me tell you what he's after here. There are three things that he's after. Number one, he's going to limit God's goodness. God said, you're free to eat. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And now Eve's going, uh, uh, well, not exactly. All right, here, look, look what she said. This is chapter 3, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Did God say you couldn't touch it? All right. So here's the second thing, is that he magnifies God's strictness. So he, he, he waters down God's goodness, and he magnifies God's strictness. And look what, look what Eve said at the very end of verse 3. Or you will die. And if you look across the page, chapter 2, verse 17. When you eat of it, you will surely die. This is God. And what she said was, or will die. Now, now, now pick up on this. Because in the Hebrew, it's, it's loud. Is it makes death a possibility rather than a certainty. So, so here, here's what the enemy's doing. And I want you to pay attention to this because he's not just doing it to Eve. He's doing it to you and me. He's watering down God's goodness. He's magnifying God's strictness. And he's making death a possibility rather than a certainty. Now let me ask you something. To whom... Was this word given in chapter 2? Given to Adam, wasn't it? Where was Eve when God gave this word to Adam? She wasn't created yet. She wasn't created until verse 22. So where did Eve get the word? She, she got that word from Adam. Now let me tell you something. If the only place you get the word of God is from a man, 
you are prone to confuse it. Now listen, I love Pastor Jason. You, you guys, Pastor Jen, you guys have some great pastors here. My kids used to go to youth and they'd come home and tell me what Pastor Jason preached at youth at Gateway Church. Okay? A brother can bring it. And, and, and he's hitting his mark. That's a good thing. But if that's the only place you get it, it's just a matter of time until you water down God's goodness and you magnify God's strictness and you make death a possibility rather than a certainty. So what, what, what I'm trying to do today is implore you to begin to go to God for yourself. Okay? So here's, here's how, let me just give you a little something to help do that. I want you to remember SOAP, S-O-A-P, SOAP, okay? Scripture, observation, application, prayer. There it is. You got it. Okay? So, so most people say, I don't read the Bible because it didn't make any sense to me. Well, it's not going to get better if you don't read it. Right? So, so just open it. And, and what I would ask you to do is rather than reading the Bible, let the Bible read you. And, and let me just say, I went to seminary. And there's a lot of the scripture that doesn't make any sense to me either. You could go to seminary, it won't solve that problem for you. So much of it is, I just open it and I go, hey, what does that even mean, God? So, so it's, it's not a matter of, I have to understand it all. Just give that up. That's not going to happen. But let me tell you for me, okay, I, I'm going to master the easy stuff before I move on to the hard stuff. The stuff like, lo love your neighbor, okay? Easy stuff, right? When, when I master that one, then I'll move on to the hard stuff. But I want, I want the scripture to read me. And when it does, there'll be three things primarily that change. Number one, your identity. Okay? So, so when, when you begin to seek God, what'll happen is, is that you're going to begin to saturate yourself over and over and over. And, and if you ask most people, Tell me about yourself. They're going to tell you what they do. And most people attach their identity to what they do. But what happens if what you do goes away? Then you just lost yourself. But if your identity is rooted in what God says about you, jobs can come and jobs can go. Money can come and money can go. Friends can come and friends can go. But none of those things define who I am or who you are. And so we go to God to let God tell us who we are. And it begins to saturate. The, number two, when you go to God, learn to pray. And let me just say, I stink at prayer. 
I'm no good at praying. There's a Psalm, I mean, uh, uh, Romans 8, I think it's 26, that says, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And I read that and I go, that's me. I went to prayer this morning and I thought, God, I don't even know how to do this. What, what do I say to you? But, but when you go to prayer, to prayer, remember that, that every time you go to God is in response to something he's already done. He's already moved. For, he's the first mover. So when, and if you, if you can't find words to pray, uh, just open up the psalm. That's what I did this morning. Started in Psalm 45 and I just, I just read and prayed until it became mine. And I could step away from the scripture and I was praying. Okay? And, and what will happen is, is that you'll just begin to develop a prayer life. And you'll spend days when you'll, you'll forget what time it is. People ask me sometimes, how long should I pray? And I tell them, you know what, I used to measure that. I used to, I used to pride myself on praying longer than anybody. And how, th that's ugly, right? That's ugly Christianity right there. What, what my goal is now is unbroken intimacy. So when, when Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing, I'm like, well, I have a job. You know, I'm married, I got kids. How am I going to do that? Well, that, the goal is not, is not on your knees all day, every day. The goal is unbroken intimacy. So that's, that's what I'm starting in the morning. And I hope, I hope before you leave the house every day, just, just bend your knee and say, God, this day is a gift and I receive it. Make me a good steward and stir up the gifts of the Spirit in me today that I could serve somebody else by grace. You know, it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't even have to be 15 minutes. I would say get, start with 10 minutes and just see where it goes because I promise you God will meet you in that place. So, so identity, prayer, and the, and the third thing is help. Is when you need help, you just go and ask God. And, and I've got, I raised my hand this morning. If you need prayer about anything, just raise your hand. I'll raise my hand because I've got some stuff that has my attention right now. And I need some help. And I want you to know that God is near. He really is near. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.